Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to Black Women Amplified, the podcast. Your host, Monica Wisdom Tyson, brings you downloadable conversations that matter to women around the globe. We discuss all things black girl magic, amplify our voices, and transform our challenges into triumphs. Monica calls on her league of extraordinary women to push our boundaries, share their expertise, and stories of personal transformation. Welcome your host of Black Women Amplified, Monica Wisdom Tyson. Hello, Black Women Amplified. It is your girl, Monica Wisdom, and I am so excited that you're here with us today. Listen, we have a very incredible conversation happening today with Miss Stephanie Perry. If you have not seen her videos, read about her in Essence magazine, or seen her across the interwebs talking about global house sitting, you are missing a treat, but you're in the perfect place to plug in to her movement. Before we get into her conversation, I just want to say thank you and welcome. Thank you for sharing the podcast, for your incredible messages, and I hope that you have enjoyed the conversations with the women, including Liv Warfield, who just put her a new song out. She hasn't put a song out in nine years, and it's called Edge. I love it. Also, did you watch the Tony Awards and see our previous guest, Natasha Yvette Williams, on the Tony stage looking luscious and beautiful and performing with the cast of Some Like It Hot. She was magnificent as all of them were. She was nominated for her first Tony after 20 years of being over 20 years of being on Broadway. She didn't take home the Tony, but the company won four awards out of nine, which I think is incredible. Plus, she was front and center. So if you want to hear her story, head on over to our podcast platform or wherever you listen to your podcast and plug in. And don't forget to continue to share, review, and follow on your favorite podcast platform. The more you share it, the more it gets shared, and this movement of Black Women Amplified continues. Also, we also have transcripts now. So you can go back the last couple of episodes and read the words that have been said. So if you if you hear about a website or an event that you want to know more about, just head on over to your favorite podcast place and check out the show notes. All of the information is there, as well as our power partners, Vital Body, Podia, and Buddha Tea. Buddha tea is like a cup of self-care. It is fragrant and delicious. Today, we're here to talk about Stephanie Perry. Stephanie shifted her no into a global movement. She chose herself, went on sabbatical, and never looked back. Stephanie is an entrepreneur and a coach that has turned her desire to travel with ease into a budding empire. She is an experienced house sitter and the dynamic founder of House Sitter School and co-founder of the Exodus Summit. They have a tribe of over 10,000 Black women. Stephanie is a leader in teaching Black women how to live a life of adventure globally with ease. Stephanie joins us today to share her story and her journey of saying yes to herself. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Black Women Amplified podcast, Miss Stephanie Perry. 
Hello, Miss Stephanie Perry. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Monica, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to talk to you today. I'm excited to talk to you. I tell you what, you have created a movement around the world with Black women. And I just want to say that I know that you say you're a house sitter, but I will say that you are helping Black women re-engineer their lives in profound ways just by showing us new possibilities on how to reframe our thinking. And I just have to say, this is going to be a Gen X to Gen X conversation (laughs) because I don't think that Gen M and Gen Z have a problem with the things that we have problems with. You're, that's right. That's right. So we have we've learned some of this from them, right? The whole di- idea of creating the life that you want and rejecting the things that that we were told we had to do. That's some that's millennial energy, right? That is <laughs> very millennial of us, very Gen Z of us. I sit back and watch my guy kiss. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, and I look at the young people. I'm like, wait a minute, how? Like, I just it's just not even a part of my understanding. I can imagine how the older generation was when, or we were, when the computer came out. And now they're creating new avenues. Of course, we knocked down the doors and we built the roads, but they have just blown that all out of the water. So where were you when you started your ideas of job liberation? What was going on in your world? Originally, this started for me when I just wanted a free time from my job, but I thought I was going back to work. Originally, this wasn't necessarily about job liberation, right? It wasn't about me rejecting jobs. It was just about me taking a break. I worked as a hospital pharmacy technician, and it was seriously easier for me to quit my job and travel for a year than it was to get my vacation requests approved. So the beginning, my origin story really is just that I had a hard time getting taken vacation when I worked for a hospital, and it was just easier for me to quit. And so millennials taught me how to quit my job and save up (laughs) money and travel on a budget. Seriously, I was on vacation in Brazil and some young people were like, why are you in Brazil for five days? Like, that's too short. Why aren't you here for five weeks, five months? And I was like, well, how can you afford to be here that long? And they introduced me to the world of quitting your job, traveling on a budget and then going back and getting your job back. That was the original plan. And I was a serial job quitter. I quit my job. Traveled for a year, Southeast Asia, Australia, a little bit of Europe, came back to work, got hired back and then quit again. Right. And originally I thought my plan was going to be quitting, you know, serial job quitting. And then I was introduced to things like house sitting that meant that I didn't have to keep doing that, that I could just, as you said, re-engineer my life. But that wasn't the original plan. The original plan was to stick with the formal way of doing things just, you know, with breaks. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I'm telling you, these kids, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know we raised them, but I don't know who they are. (laughs) So when you were growing up, you know, we both grew up in the same era. What were some of the ideas and conditioning that you were taught about work and the idea of work and how to make money just as a, and as a black woman in this world? I think first and foremost, I was taught And shown that work was the purpose, that work in general and hard work was my purpose in life, that I was here to be a worker. The question was always, what do you want to be when you grow up, when you grow up? I was a smart, semi-smart kid. You know, I was the kind of kid who could do well in school without doing a whole lot of work. And so the question was always, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that was about what kind of work do you want to do? So the message was that I am here to do some sort of labor, some sort of work. And that is the most important part of who I am. 
instead of, you know, work is just a, a means to an end, right? <laughs> Your job is a means to an yes. end and maybe not even that. I- and so that, yeah, that was the main message, not necessarily from my parents, because my parents had other things going on in their lives. But out in the world, the message that I was getting loud and clear was you have to do some sort of, we have to dedicate your life to some sort of work. And it's got to be work that we deem valuable, right? We have to, you got to buy into black excellence and your job needs to be one of the top five, one of the big five, right? You doctor, lawyer, engineer, you know, you have to be one of those things. Even you can't say, I want to be a house sitter as a child, or I want to be a writer, which is what I really, which was my dream and still is the thing that I'm working towards. I want to be a writer and get the same reaction as, oh, okay. I want to be a doctor or I want to be an engineer. So the messaging that I got about work was really restrictive and didn't fit me at all because I'm a floater. I'm a free bird. (laughs) I'm a person who is meant to just take life as it comes. I'm not a planner. And so it's hard for someone who's not a planner to become a doctor or an engineer. (laughs) It doesn't work out like that. Structure is not your friend. It's not my friend. (laughs) So tell me about growing up. What was that community and that village like? a lovely village. I'm from exotic Delaware. (laughs) My parents both had large extended families in Delaware. Then we moved. And so it was lovely. Delaware is a place with with a higher percentage of Black people than you would expect. Wilmington is mostly Black, I think. But then we moved to Ohio. We moved to a very white place. And that is where I learned. And I was only in third or fourth grade. And that is where I learned to put a boundary up, to put a barrier up. That is one of the, that's the first time that I was introduced to like wearing a mask, right? Being a different person. The same things that a lot of women have to do in their jobs, I learned to do in elementary school, right? To be a different person in school. But then I had a nice large fam, nice large extended family. And I also had a nice large church family. And so I had a place where I could be myself and a place where Black women and Black girls were really kind and loving and welcoming to me. Mm-hmm. And then I had to be ready to go back to school on Monday. I was like a lot of people with their jobs. I had to go back to school on Monday and be this different person and deal with these people. And, you know, (laughs) I had two childhoods, right? You know, it's interesting because in that same for me, I would just say for myself, I grew up in all white schools. I was one of three black kids and through my entire elementary schooling. And it was, you were one way at home and you were another way at school and you were very confined. But I understand it now that in that era in the 80s and the 70s was about safety. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, but that conditioning didn't leave us when doors were opening up. We still have that same mind of we need to be safe. And so when you decided to free yourself from the job space, what were the conversations with the people that were around you? Because I know a lot of people have want this idea of one day I'll do this, but there's a lot of fear around it, or there's a lot of, I don't know what people will think about it that surrounds their decisions. So what were the conversations that you had with the people that were in your tribe? I wish I could be more helpful to other Black women who want the blueprint on how to handle other people. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I have been the person in my family who just did what she wanted anyway. (laughs) I didn't have to have, I didn't talk about it too much. When I did tell my parents that I was going to quit my job and travel for a while, my dad was okay. And my mom thought I was seriously, she thought I was having a breakdown. My mom thought I was losing it and just couldn't, couldn't wrap her mind around 
an able-bodied 41-year-old woman, this was 2015, right? An able-bodied woman taking a significant amount of her life to not work. Uh, So she thought I was having a breakdown, but I didn't really have, and so I just let her deal with that. I didn't do any convincing. I'm not in the business of convincing people to do things or, Mm -hmm. you know, so I didn't do any convincing. I just left and let her deal with that. And it only took a few weeks of pictures of me having (laughs) lived my life in Thailand and right. And before she was like, totally all, all in, all in. Mm -hmm. And then at work, right. Who who do I have to convince? Nobody. (laughs) I just, I'm leaving right. Here's my notice. And so I know that there are women who have people in their lives that they have to get on board so that they can make the shift, right? So that they can do the thing. Fortunately, I didn't have to do that. But my advice is probably still the same. Is still, you're going to have to do it and people will be okay with it later. Once they see that new you, they get to meet you. Just like you're centering work in your life, they probably also are centering you the worker or they they are they know you the worker. They don't know you the the rested, healing, peaceful person. And so they're going to meet that person and love her and be so glad to meet her, but that's not going to happen right away. Most people aren't going to get into it right away. So the solution to that is just get in community with women who are doing this, right? Get in community in spaces where your new thing is normalized because the people who are already in your life probably aren't going to get it right away. So as part of your idea of sabbatical, not for you, but just also your community, is that part of a journey of self-discovery so that we can get to know that person that's outside of societal norms or that person, that persona that we created in, in trying to be safe? Absolutely. 100%. It's probably the worst kept secret. Okay. (laughs) We lead with the sabbatical or we lead with, you know, moving abroad or whatever, or house sitting. But the real, the real deal is you're going to find who you really are. Even though I didn't leave on my sabbatical to find myself, right? I just wanted to travel and see some beautiful places and take some pictures without having to get permission from my job. But man, didn't I find myself, right? Didn't I uncover a whole lot of parts of me that I didn't know existed. And didn't I get rid of some parts of me that I didn't need anymore, like the barriers uh, around meeting new people? I used to think I didn't like talking to strangers. 2015, Stephanie would never agree to a podcast interview, no matter how awesome the thing I was doing was. I would never talk to a stranger about a thing. And I I realized or I uncovered a part of myself that I didn't know existed. And that comes from that free time that comes from not having work be the center of my life and not having work dictate where I am and how long I'm there and who I am. We don't realize the toll that work takes on us. We don't realize how it just leeches into every part of our lives. And when you can free yourself from it, you are changed. There's no question. Mm. So you talked a little bit about how it has changed you. What are some of the distinctions between Stephanie 2014 and Stephanie now? I'm open up to people. I'm I'm still an introvert and I'm still a hermit. I'm pretty much a loner, right? But I'm really open up to new people and new community. And that has been amazing, right? It's been really <laughs> wonderful to have just like a, a community of people who just want me to win. And that's something that I I was because of the, my childhood, because of growing up in, you know, Westerville, Ohio, I just didn't think that that was any, that didn't think that that was going to be me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really changed everything. Having a community of people who surround me and just are all in on me being me has really been amazingly helpful. I also have had a lot of time to re-examine 
like my values Mm -hmm. and see why am I living as though this thing is important to me, whatever it is, right? From my, my relaxed hair to whatever, right? Why do I think this is important? And is it really important? Is it important for the person I'm becoming? And I've been able to let a whole lot of things go that I thought were priorities, right? From my hair looking a certain way to the types of friendships and relationships that I have. I've been able to just re-examine every little thing and kind of build myself. I talked to a woman named Alicia Renice the other day, and she talked about remembering yourself as in actually reattaching your yes. memory, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, I've never heard anybody say that before, but I think I did that. <laughs> I, that's, think- <laughs> I think that's one of, uh, I studied the divine feminine for years, and that's one of the teachings ah. from my teacher was, she teaches through the lens of Egyptology. Mm. So she talks about the goddess Isis, Isis, how she went around to physically remember Osiris because he had been cut up. So she talks about us remembering ourselves and not the selves that we created, but the selves that were birthed that God sent through the womb (laughs) before life got to us. That's beautiful. That person is in every, we have that person in us. That's who we are. That's who, Mm -hmm. and free time will, free time will bring her out. Oh, I love this. I'm loving this conversation. (laughs) I feel like it's going too fast. You and I have some similar ideas and I think it's, it, it might be our generation or the fact that we're both rebellious against (laughs) everything. (laughs) But there are some terms that I would love to hear your perspective on that I have a very strong, I get a very strong emotion when I hear them. One of the terms is Black excellence. Oh, Oh, my God. We're having a conversation without talking. (laughs) Did you hear my? Yes. The sigh, honey, the sigh. (laughs) Black excellence was never, ever going to give Black women what it promised, right? The promise of Black excellence was that some of you, right, some of you will be able to excel past whatever the thing is, racism and misogyny. And some of you will be able to excel past that false. I think that Black excellence has put us in a box. Black excellence gave us one way to be totally rejected the people who weren't going to fit in that, right? A person like myself who was never going to fit into the Black excellence box, even though I was, I guess I was born to Black excellence parents, people who, parents who people would look at as Black excellence. I was, that was never going to be me. And it was just so restrictive. A lot of Black women are literally killing themselves to be deemed excellent, right? To be deemed Black excellence. And so if it's harmful to Black women, I don't like it. <laughs> hey, here, 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 here. And I, before I took my sabbatical, I was a hairstylist for 35 years. So I heard the stories uh-huh. of the Black excellent crowd. And the, and some of them would literally cry in my, I mean, cry yes. in my chair because it is so hard. And people talk about mental wellness. What's not well is the lives that we're leading. That's right. That's right. It's not us. We're not broken. We are strong. We're resilient. But the lives that we live, are, it was not designed for us. I can go off on a tangent on this, but it's not designed for us. And living in a hierarchy society, it's not designed for us. We come out of community. 
We come out of gatherings. We come out of supporting one another. So to live these type of hierarchy lifestyles, it's literally breaking us in half. And that's the anxiety that we feel, in my opinion. And that's the powerlessness that we feel, in my opinion, because we get the stuff, I'm about to cuss, we get the stuff done. <laughs> it's just when those doors close and it gets quiet and, and our unhappiness takes over because- Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yes. So thank you for that, because I, I felt like, am I the only one who feels like this? I think Black excellence is a horrible term. <laughs> it's a form of oppression. It is oppression. It is oppression. It, and it's also centering the white gaze, right? It's yes. telling us we have to do these things so that this group of people will deem us worthy. Well, how about I take control over myself? How about I execute agency in my life? That's Black power, right? Black power is me having the power over my life. How about we prioritize that instead? How about that? <laughs> the next term, I'm, I'm about to hear another sigh. <laughs> Soft life. I think soft life is pretty new in the world. As a Gen Xer, I feel like I need to kind of give the the definition to some other Gen Xers out there because I think a lot of Gen Xers had not heard this term. You know, have not. I've never heard it in my life until recently. Recently, so let's talk about that. So recently, I think some younger women have decided that a way to practice femininity, right, is to do things is to live in a way that looks soft and looks relaxed and looks luxury, right? Looks like luxury. But I think behind that was these women also killing themselves on their jobs to be able to afford the soft life. So to me, that's not soft life, right? If you're working and whatever the job is, whether it's a job like a, whether you're a computer programmer or your job is a man who is in charge of the money, right? But who is quote unquote spoiling you with luxury, right? All of that is hard work and all of that can kill you. I think that a lot of people have focused on the wrong things in order and calling them a soft life. I don't want to say wrong, but things that I would disagree are soft. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having to work at a job where you're crying in the meetings, right? And where where people are mistreating you right in your face, and then stealing credit for your work behind your back, that's not a soft life. I don't care how many stays you can afford at the Four Seasons. It's not a soft life. I think I have a pretty soft life. And I think I have a soft life because I don't have anyone in my life that I have to brace myself to spend time with, right? I don't have any requirements in my life that I have to do in spite of what I really want. I don't usually use the term soft soft life. I just say ease. I embrace ease. And I think that is what the women who think soft life is the way, right? I think what they really want is ease, but they're going about it such a difficult, challenging way. Yeah. And so soft life, it's kind of a new thing, right? It's very new. And I heard it from, I didn't hear from the women. I heard it from men complaining about Black women are so hard. And they they need them to be softer. And so my take on it, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I and I've I've heard that as well. But from the male perspective of you, you know, more bees with honey is is the uh, basic philosophy that if you're softer, if you speak to us differently, then you'll be more accepting and you'll have more opportunities and more men available to you. And I was like, get out of here with that. <laughs> get 
out of here. I said, if that doesn't sound like oppression to me. <laughs> don't tell me who to be, right? Don't, don't tell me, tell how me to who to be. <laughs> but there are, so I think that there are some women, there are black women who would love to be that. They would love to be that soft, but like, who's going to take care of her? Who's going to do, you know, who's going to do the, the other things that she also has to do in her life? There are some women who are naturally that. Mm-hmm. But they can't be it because they don't have the safety net. They don't have the protection of men that that they want, that they would love to have. There are other women who are never going to be that. No matter what you pro- try to provide for a woman, she's never going to want to be that. Every We're different. Every People are people. And we want to live our lives people. in our way. We want to have what we want for ourselves and not have somebody tell us what we should want. And the thing is, is if if you have to compromise so much of yourself to be with a person, is it worth it? Yeah. <laughs> If I have to soften my voice and I have to speak at a certain, I mean, it's like training a dog. That's not here, you know. (laughs) Don't bark, don't bite, you know, don't climb on the chair. Like I bought the chairs, well, don't climb on them. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's just, it was too much for me. And I, 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 I've grew up in a family where they were like, speak up and say what you need to say. So if I have to dim all of that and become a shadow of myself. Is it really a soft life? Because it sounds really hard to me. It's hard. That's exactly <laughs> right. You're exactly right. I haven't heard that from men, but I don't, you know, I don't listen too much to what men have to say. <laughs> listen, I, I listen to just listen to see what's out there. Yeah. Just so I can have an intelligent conversation about it. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why you're wrong, sir. Yeah. Right? <laughs> sir, excuse me, sir. No, <laughs> that's not what this is. Mm-hmm. So the next term, I have two more. And we can go through them quickly, but permission, permission. I don't know. I don't, that doesn't bring any feelings up in me. I know that women always say about my work, like the same, probably you get the same about your work. You've given me permission to X, Y, Z. I didn't No, you did it. You did. I don't know. I don't have any real feelings about it. I, I know that it's not necessary. Yeah. It's not, you, I, I'm, I'm not here to give anybody permission to do things. I'm just sharing some stuff. You give yourself that permission. And that's the, that's the piece is that we do look for permission because we look for leaders. We look for permission. We look for guidance instead of saying, asking ourselves the question, what do I want to do? What do I want? (laughs) And that's a big question for black women because we're so used to doing for everybody else. It's like, what do I want? What flavors do I like? What travel do I want to take? And um, having the not needing permission to do any of it, even to ask the question. No. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So I think that's how I hear it a lot. Like you gave me permission to question this. You gave me permission Mm -hmm. to. Right. But no, you did. You did. I don't know. Maybe we do have to give ourselves permission, especially when we have decades of messaging telling us that there is, here is a way to do things. I think that maybe we do have to give ourselves that permission, Mm -hmm. but it's not me. I'm not, no, there's no third party giving you permission to do anything. And if that, I agree with you, if that's what you're waiting for, Mm -hmm. you need to find out what you want for yourself. You really need to take some time because you can fall into anything. People can fall into, just because I make videos about being a house sitter, people will fall into house sitting and you're like, you don't even like it. You don't even like it, right? You don't like dogs. I moved, I'm moving to Costa Rica and getting residency because I like to be a six hour flight from my parents, okay. right? People are going to Costa Rica and I'm like, but you don't even know my parents. Like you don't need to move to Costa Rica 
to be six hours from my parents. You don't even know them, you know? So there is, we do, I think there is a, there is, there has been so much of keeping black women on mm-hmm. a track that it is hard to get off that track. It's hard. There's got to be a whole lot of breaking down and a whole lot of unlearning for black women to, to realize, oh, I'm free. My life is mine. Mm-hmm. And the understanding of just what you just said, my life is mine. I'm nobody's property. I'm nobody's possession. I'm nobody's arm candy. I am myself. It's kind of hard for Black women to understand because we do so much in the world. But then you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Ask yourself, why am I doing this? And then ask yourself, well, what do I really want to do? I love this conversation. <laughs> Let's keep it going. So you okay. said to go through that one fast. I didn't do it. Okay. I'm a, no, I'm no, no. You don't have to I'm go through rebel. it fast. I'm just. I'm a rebel. <laughs> Listen, I can be out here 10 hours talking to you, but I, I want to be respectful of your time because I really think that you have tapped into something that I have talked to. And here's the thing. I was rebellious against my family in the sense of I became a hairstylist and not an educator or all of those, the top five that you said. And I remember that process. It was hard because when I tell you, I got call after call, what are you doing? How can, you're so smart. You're so this, you need to go to college. You need to do, you know, all the things. And it was a pressure that was on me for a long time. So I said to myself with this pressure, I'm going to be the best at it so that you can't deny me. But I should have been able to just live my life. Just live your life. Right. So that's the distinction. The pressure is we have to be a certain way to be accepted by this group of people, whether it's our parents or our friends or society. But the idea that you're presenting to people is just do what you want to do. (laughs) It's very fantasy island. What do you want (laughs) to do today? (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) So many people on this call have no idea what fantasy island is. I know, I know, but look it up. Yeah. So I think as much as I did not like growing up in Westerville, Ohio with them white kids, I learned that from them. They got to be what they want and do what they want, right? I'm still Facebook friends with some of them today. And you know what they're doing? Whatever they want. You know who they're not feeling the pressure of? An entire race of people. Right. (laughs) Right. And so maybe... I am like some sort of intermediary. I had I had half a foot in that world and I can show black women a different way, right? I can show black women a different way. I always say like, what does Chad do? All of us worked at, at some point. Not Chad. <laughs> we all worked with a white dude who just, you know, whatever. He showed up and he did his job. He didn't do anything extra. Nothing right? extra. He wasn't volunteering for extra stuff. He Nobody gave him the assignments that whatever, I don't know, work things. I can't remember what work life was like, but nobody gave him <laughs> extra work because he was so efficient, right? No, Chad showed up. He did what he had to do and he left. What would Chad do? That's how I'm doing. That's how I'm living. Like if Chad can do the, the minimum, I'm going to do the minimum. I feel Girl, like that, you are my I mind have. twin. You are my mind. Cause I say the same thing. I said, if we just had the confidence of a mediocre white boy, yes, our lives would be so different. <laughs> yes. That's it. Because Chad is out the door at three o'clock to go hang with his buddies. Mm-hmm. We are going to X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, and we get home at 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. We got to go to grad school. We got to go to class, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're always in school. We got to, you know, we got to volunteer for this organization. We have to be on that board. 
girl, sit down, right? <laughs> now I want to get your perspective on, this is just your perspective on the idea of purpose, because a lot of people talk about, I need to find my purpose. What are your thoughts around that? This is super related to the Chad conversation. I think that we're, we're told from very early on that our life has to be about some greater purpose that is connected to other people. If your purpose was just, you know, the reason I'm so anti-purpose, I, I don't, the, the short answer is I don't like purpose, right? The reason I'm so anti-purpose <laughs> is because the purpose is never like, I want to, it's never something pleasurable to you. It's always something that requires you to give and sacrifice for others. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we're Black women overemphasize purpose. There Maybe there is a greater thing that you're called to do. Maybe right? Maybe, but maybe you've already done it, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you've already done that. Maybe now you can just sit down and dream and live that dream out. I don't care about your purpose. I frankly, I don't care about your purpose. I want black women to live our dreams. And mm-hmm. sometimes that dream is just only I'm going to benefit only, only I'm going to benefit from my dreams. And that's okay. I think that purpose and being caught up in what other people need from me is a pathway to regret. I think that on your last day, you're going to have a whole list of things that you wish you had done for yourself, a whole list of things that you wish you of use that you wish you could have been, but you were too busy worried about your purpose, right? Too busy focusing on what you had to do for others that you never lived your own dream. And that dream is going to die just as sure as you will. Mm-hmm. People are going to be sitting in your home going service, talking about all the things you did for other people. Mm-hmm. And not have any idea who you really were and what you really wanted for yourself. So I don't care about your purpose. I want you to live your dream. <laughs> With your hand on your hip and rolling your neck. I feel you. <laughs> Without apology. <laughs> Without apology. I feel. And I really believe that that book, Purpose Driven Life, shifted everybody into this search of something outside of us. Okay. When I believe that our purpose is, was born with us and it's not anything we have to find. It's something we have to remember. Like you talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. there's no helping 10 million kids is not your purpose. That is your, what you want to do. So I like to shift the term from purpose to destiny, follow your destiny. Don't worry about purpose because you already have it. How you do what you do. That's the purpose you were born for. Yes. So if you're a funny person, that was your that's your purpose to bring joy to people. But you're not responsible for other people's joy. You're just here to be yourself. And so that's my perspective of purpose. But I I do agree that we have to get away from that term. So I'm shifting to destiny. Follow your destiny, whatever that is for you. Follow your joy, whatever that is for you. And like you said, just be happy. (laughs) That's right. That's right. We say just be happy. And it sounds like we're giving simple advice, but it's not simple, right? It's it's maybe simple, but not easy, right? There's a whole lot of things we have to reject, a whole lot of things we have to turn our backs on seriously in order to be happy, in order to focus on joy, in order to prioritize that. But you're in there. You are in the joy. The you that you are trying to remember, she's in the joy, right? She's in the rest. She's in the ease. She's not in the work. She's not in the striving. She's not in the struggling in the black excellence. She's not in the purpose, right? She's in the joy. Mm -hmm. 
And what we think is purpose is just another shackle that we put on ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That search for what is my purpose? What is my purpose is really like, I don't want to spend the time to really get to know myself. So how can I drown myself in more work? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what it is. That's what I hear. I don't know what y'all hear when you say it, but that's what I'm hearing. (laughs) So you talked about you're moving to Costa Rica, but where are some of the places that you've lived around the world? I'm a house sitter. And so I bop around a little, I bop Mm -hmm. around a lot. There are some places that I have just felt so welcome and so at home, I guess, or maybe, or, Mm -hmm. and also just so received such good like vibes. (laughs) South (laughs) Africa has been, was an amazing place for me. I I really enjoyed my time in South Africa. It doesn't fit my life long-term. Uh, but I really enjoyed South Africa. Portugal is a place I fell in love with. Portugal is just pretty, right? They're, they're, it's just really pretty. It's hilly and the outside of houses are tile, right? They tile the outside of their homes. It's just gorgeous. And also it's easy to get to a beach on the public transportation, right? You just take public transportation. You can end up at a beach. Mm. I've not experienced that too many other places. I live in Delaware. There's no public transportation. <laughs> oh, it's, wow. yeah, it, yeah, right. We got really cheated. Uh, Mexico, right? Mexico, which is close. And a lot of people are like, oh, Mexico's not exotic, but Mexico is beautiful and a welcoming place. The people in Mexico are people who really just don't care about what you're doing. <laughs> Mexico <laughs> is a place where if you're looking for some a place where you can get away from the U.S. policing, and I don't mean just the police, I mean everyday neighbors and, you know, just white people in general wanting to police you. Mexico is a place where you can just go and live your life. I've been in small towns in Mexico and, and Mexico City, the big city, and it's just been a place where I could live and be free and be a person and be a human being and not be watched and not be policed and not not be constantly aware that there are people who think that I'm less than just because of the way I look. That's why I fell in love with Paris, because it was the first place that nobody saw a black girl in the store. They just saw a sh- person shopping. That's right. <laughs> yes. And how long has it been since you've been to Paris? The last time I was in Paris was 2014, but I've been several times. But that's how, that was my experience. That's why I love it, because They see my color, but out of appreciation, Hmm. but not out of hatred and all the other things that you feel. It was the first place I went to and I didn't feel racism all over me. That's right. Yeah. So it's we're not talking about nobody sees color, right? We're not talking that kind of talk. We're just talking about they see what I look like. They see what color I am. They don't automatically assume X, Y, Z about me, right? They just, it, it is a, that is who I am. It's a part of my, a part of me, right? Or a big part of me, but it doesn't give them any feelings. They don't, they don't feel any feelings about it, right? It's in like, Paris, oh, Coco Latte. You know, it's, <laughs> it's out of, oh my God, you're beautiful. And it's, you know, uh-huh. so I love the idea you were talking about Mexico. They just let you live your life. <laughs> Just live, right? Just live. They don't, they don't care about what you're doing, right? Just live. They may bring you uh, people, Mexico. There are a lot of places in the world, as you, you talked earlier about how we are made to live in community. There are a lot of places in the world where it's surprising how community focused they are and how quickly they pull you into that community. You're here. You're one of us, right? It's a thing that I love about Mexico. When you're eating, when you're eating in a restaurant in Mexico, when people are eating in a restaurant, right, and someone gets up from their table, leaves the restaurant, every table they walk past, they turn to the people and they say provecho, which is like bon appetit or enjoy your meal or whatever. Oh. 
It's just a thing, right? You're one of us. I want you to enjoy your meal. I enjoyed my meal. I want you to enjoy yours, right? They say it to me, right? I, I'm at a table full of Black women. They turn to us. They say provecho, right? You're included in our customs. You're included in our rituals, in our way of doing things. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really wonderful to be pulled into people's community and experience that. Sometimes for some of us for the first time, because a lot of Black American people have lived in a place where they like I did, where they're not really part of the community. They're always aware how much they stand out. And then that leads to the cycle of, well, I got to be, I'm on my own. I got to do everything on my own. I agree with you. We're not made for that. It is destroying us. And you can find that type of community when you go live in another country or visit. You can just visit. Right. You don't have to live there. If you just, if you're there for longer than four days. Yeah. <laughs> it. You're going to feel welcomed and people are going to remember you when they see you out of joy. Oh, good to see you again. You know, and not out of, oh, she tipped me well, or she's an American or, you know, just all of the things that you don't realize that until you leave this country, that there are people that really do love us. (laughs) It's true. I mean, like really, 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 really do love us. And that's a beautiful thing. What makes house sitting a great option for people to do their sabbaticals? I house sit and get free accommodation. I'm in Palm Springs, California, as we speak. And Palm Springs is not a cheap place. And I've been here. I'll be here for, I'm spending at least three months in Palm Springs, maybe a little bit more, uh, without paying for accommodation. And that takes a lot of pressure off of a person's life, okay? When you don't have to pay to live somewhere or to just visit somewhere, you don't have to pay for that accommodation, a lot of the pressure is off. House-sitting gives me an opportunity to be in a place and have kind of a built-in community because house-sitting clients usually connect you with some neighbors and stuff. So literally, I've been in this house-sit since Sunday night, and I've met two different neighbors, and I'm going out to eat with one of the neighbor couples on Monday, right? So house-sitting can give you some community and can give you a little company because most house-sits are pet-sits, and I've got two little dogs here to keep me company. <laughs> and they're adorable, and they're being so good right now, right? <laughs> I hope they're napping. I don't know. They may have gotten into the neighbor's yard. But they said, dog, they'll be there in three seconds. <laughs> We're good. I think we're in the clear. Right? It gives you a little bit of company, but it really does give you the opportunity to just pop up somewhere, anywhere in the world. I've house sat in some wonderful places, but places I would never have visited except for there was a house sit and they had a pool and I said yes, right? My love affair with Mexico started because there was a house sit in a small town in Mexico and they had a lovely house, right? And they had a guest house and so I, I showed up there and turns out I really love the Ajijic area of Mexico to visit, not to live, but to visit. And I would never have known that with, if not for house sitting. So it's been a wonderful treat. I was afraid to get started house sitting as a black woman, right? Who's lived in the United States and lived in white people's, in white neighborhoods and hardly ever went in their homes, right? Honestly, I can't remember ever going into my friend's homes. They came into- We weren't invited, honey. <laughs> Now that I think about it, I can't think of one. Don't bring that kid over here. So when I started house sitting, when I paid for my membership, I was like, this is not going to work. Right. And then I just, you know, decided it wasn't going to work even without giving it a a better try. And then things worked out. A, A woman ended up contacting me. House sitting is something that seems unnatural to a lot of Black people, right? A lot of women, Black women are like, girl, that's dangerous. That's not safe. It doesn't make sense. But once you're welcomed into it, 
it can change your life, just like the sabbatical can change your life. House sitting and being gifted, right, or being given a free place to stay anywhere in the world opens up so many possibilities. It can extend what could be a three-month sabbatical into a, a, a year-long sabbatical because that expense is cut out. It could extend a quick visit to a place into, I'm going to move to this place. I'm going to live in this place because you got to see it from a different angle, mm-hmm. from the angle of a person who lives there. It's been a wonderful game changer. And I really love to see Black women out here house-sitting because it's been a thing for white retirees, mostly, And I love to see Black women, middle-aged Black women out here just house-sitting and living their lives. Oh, that's amazing. Because it just, I know that people do it. I just never knew that we did it. (laughs) I know. I I don't know. know, Because I always hear college students saying, well, I'm going to go to such and such for the summer, right? But it's always Chad and his friends. You know, we're going to go stay here. We're going to go stay here, there. And they're not necessarily rich kids because the assumption is people are rich. And I think that you really changed the conversation around money because it shows that you might not necessarily have to make a lot of money or have a lot of money to get this done. You That's just right. need to get you from one space to the next because your focus is not money. It's the experience of what you're doing and That's the right. freedom. In my serial job quitter days, right, when I used to quit a job and go back and then quit again, I went to Mexico on a house sit. I believe I got there with $3,000, maybe. And when I left six months later, I still had money left, right? Like, because I didn't have to pay for a place to stay. All I had to do was pay for food and pay for Ubers. It does level the playing field. There are things that have only been accessible to people who had the money to do it, right? Including career breaks and sabbaticals. But house-sitting is a playing field leveler. It gives you access, right? You person who has a regular person amount of money. It gives you access to the sabbatical because you don't have to pay for that accommodation. That makes sense. Because if you're having to pay $400 a night at a hotel, that's a bigger conversation (laughs) for a month stay as opposed to, I mean, Airbnb freed up some things, but it's getting ridiculous. But house sitting frees up the whole thing. The whole thing, right? (laughs) Depending on how you, and you have to be willing to travel a certain type of way. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to a hotel, you're going to somebody's home and you're supporting them as they're supporting you. So it's a very, I guess, a barter. There, there is some, symbi- yes. Yeah. We both benefit. We both benefit. I had a client who was in her eighties and she said, I'm taking, I'm taking some stuff off my bucket list. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I want to be a part of that. I want to help you live out your dream. Mm-hmm. You go to the, she wanted to go to the hot air balloon festival in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I came and house that for her old ancient dog. She had the oldest dog in the world. <laughs> I took care of her ancient dog so that she could go live her dream. We both benefit. It's not like I'm getting something and they're getting nothing, right? They get the benefit of their home and their pets being well cared for. I get the benefit of living in their beautiful house in their lovely town for however many days or weeks. Yeah, it's a nice, it's part of the sharing economy, right? The idea of like reciprocity. We both get something out of this without having to exchange money. Yes, that's a whole new perspective. (laughs) A whole new possibility. So let me say this, congratulations on 10,000 members of your Exodus Summit. Yes. Tell me about the Exodus Summit. How did it begin and all the things that you all are doing? Thank you so much. So Exodus Summit started as a virtual summit. Rashida Dow and I got together and decided to host a virtual summit for Black women who wanted to take a sabbatical or move abroad or bop around as a nomad. 
we uh, knew each other from YouTube. A woman, Courtney, a woman named Courtney introduced us and was like, I think you guys would like each other. And so we knew each other from having YouTube channels and Rashida interviewed me on her channel. And we had the idea to host a one-time virtual event back in 2020 to show Black women how to do the thing that we know how to do, how to take a sabbatical or move abroad or how sit, right? So we had the virtual summit in 2020. We had an idea that some people would be interested. Turns out we had over 3,000 women attend that first virtual summit. Wow. It was crazy, right? So we're like, oh, we're onto something here. So we posted the virtual summit every year since then. Our community, our Facebook group, just hit 10,000 members, 10,000 Black women members. And you know, Black women don't fool with Facebook like that. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> Not That's at all. Pretty big. That's pretty big. Yeah, but we host the virtual summit every year and we bring in speakers because we don't want Black women to, whatever that barrier, whatever that thing is, there's somebody who is doing it even with that like particular hurdle. So we bring in speakers who can speak to that thing. Here's why you can still do it, right? Rashida and I don't have children. So we bring in speakers who have children who travel. Rashida and I aren't living with we're not living with visible physical disabilities, right? So we bring in speakers who are doing this thing even with their physical disabilities, right? So that Black women know, yeah, you can too. This is for you. This is not just for people who fit into this small group. It's for you. You're welcome to take a sabbatical. You are welcome to move abroad. You're welcome to bop around as a nomad. And so we bring in people to talk about it. We also do some in-person meetups and in-person events because a lot of women who want to do something different feel like such a weirdo. And they feel like there's nobody that they can really share their dream or their goal or their plan with. Mm -hmm. And so our community gets together so that women can meet each other. They do city meetups by city. And then we do an international meetup every year. So that they can meet each other and know that, oh, no, yeah, yeah, there are other weirdos. Maybe I am a weirdo, right? But there are others out there, too. And so we're going to band together. We're all weird in our own way. We just hide it really well. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Listen, everybody's a little crazy. Everybody's a little weird. We just (laughs) have learned how to hide it. But get get with somebody with a couple of shots of tequila. You'll see it. (laughs) It's gonna, it's in there. It's gonna come out. It's good. She's good. She's gonna come out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So it's nice to have a place. I love the Exodus Summit community. It's wonderful to have a place where to see, to be able to see women getting together and bonding and making friends and and chosen sisters in that space. It's been wonderful. Like it's a thing that I do that requires a lot of work. And you know, I don't really like working that much. But <laughs> it's so worth it. It's so worth it. I love it. What has it meant to you to be able to create this space for Black women? So we talk a lot. People talk about legacy. And I think that men are so caught up in legacy being money, right? Their legacy being the money that they have in the bank and that they can leave to somebody else, right? But I think that there is a, I will live forever. I don't know how, does that sound, you just said it was okay to be a little bit weird. I will live forever because of the work that I've done. That little bit, that space that I've created. Listen, let me just say this. You have permission to brag like Chad. <laughs> There's no, the, on this, in this space that I've created, all Black women have permission to brag like Chad. <laughs> then Thank he's you. a good so t-shirt. Like, brag like brag Chad. Like that. Yes. <laughs> yes, right? What I've done is has created a place where people are changing not just their own lives, but the, the trajectory of their entire families. There are Black women who are moving their children to safer places, moving their children to places where they can thrive and live just a healthier, happier, more loving life. 
that's my legacy. I get to, and I get to see it in real time. I don't have to die for people to tell me what's happening. <laughs> I get to see it in real time. It ha- It's amazing. It's something I never planned. I didn't think that this was going to be my thing. I'm a writer, right? Uh, I'm a writer who hasn't published a book yet, but I'm a writer. Uh, but it's been amazing to be a person who ha- who can who can be like, look what I did. <laughs> and it's something that I didn't even do. It's something somebody else did. But I get to take some credit for it. And I get to go to sleep really, really excited for what the community is doing. And I get to wake up ready for the next day. Ready. Even if that next day is just, you know, me sitting, drinking some coffee and reading people's emails saying, thank you, I'm house sitting right now. Right. <laughs> it's, I mean, yes. it's, it's amazing. <laughs> I can, I do that. Right. Like here, here's some emails. They're, these are women who are house sitting with their small children and they would never have known that this was a thing if I hadn't talked about it. OK, I'm going to start my day with that. That's, that's how I'm beginning my day, beginning and ending my day. And I think that that's very first of all, it's beautiful what you've done. Applause, applause, applause. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's something that all of these organizations say that they thrive for, for people, for us to be free, but I don't, I haven't seen the the, uh, results of that. (laughs) I'll just say that. I'll say that it keeps us in a perpetual movement of where we are. So you are literally moving us out of the conditioning of being enslaved Africans in America, of that legacy and that lineage that we're connected to, because you're saying, hey, Let's restore us back to who we were. Let's remember who we really are. It's like that m- moment in the Lion King when it says, remember who you are. And you're taking women there by the hand without responsibility to them. But let me show you what I did. Yes. And that's, that's, that's powerful. <laughs> yeah. Because you're at, ultimately you're showing Black women what freedom looks like. That's right. Black women are getting themselves free, right? Yes. Black women are freeing themselves from that. But listen, I'm going to show you an example of a way, right? I'm going to show you a way that it, that it happens. I am so proud. I'm so proud of this. I'm so proud of what I do. But I'm even more proud of the Black women who take a chance and do it for themselves. Doing it for themselves. Let's talk about that. Doing it for themselves. If you were sitting with someone who is in a situation where they're feeling anxiety, they're telling you they're depressed, they're telling you that life is horrible, yet they have accolades and awards and all the things, their life is not matching up. What is the one thing that you would tell her right now? I'll have the same message. Give yourself free time, right? Give yourself the gift of free time. Free time is the pathway to clarity. The thing, the things that you prioritize or don't prioritize, you don't have a chance to reevaluate them when you're busy, right? You're busy, you're working, you're stressed out, you're tired, you're burned out, right? Give yourself free time. It's really scary to some women to sit and figure, sit, right? To sit, but it's worth it because that is where the clarity is. It's perfectly natural for you to be dissatisfied or women usually say things like I'm feeling I lost myself or I've never I still have I don't even know I never knew myself to begin with perfectly natural right that's how it was the system was designed right you were born into a system that was designed for you to feel like that so don't beat yourself up about it right (laughs) there's no there's no success there's no win there there's no pathway out from there instead give yourself free time 
you'll be amazed at what free time will do for you, how you will hear what's going on in your brain and be able to address the things, right? Address what you do want for yourself, what you don't want for yourself. But I really don't know how to do it without free time. Yeah, I remember when I first took my my very first self-induced journey of self-discovery, I said, I just want to hear my voice. Yes. I don't even know what I sound like. I hear my father's voice. I hear my job's voice. I hear everybody else's voice, but my own. I just want to hear my voice. That's right. And when I found her, I was like, oh, you don't even believe this stuff. <laughs> that's right. Isn't that crazy? That's so funny. Yeah. That's it's amazing that you recognize that because I think most of us do not recognize that. You know, we don't recognize that the voice that we're hearing is our parents, it's our conditioning, it's our schools, it's our me, it's the media, right? We don't realize that we're not hearing our own voice. I don't think so. It's it's wonderful that you got to the point where you recognize that and decided to take some action, put yourself in the driver's seat instead of just saying, oh, well, I don't know what I want for myself. And that's just how it's going to be. You drove, you drove the boat. Do we still say that? You drove the boat. You decided that you were going to find it, not give up until you found your own voice. Yeah, it was an experience, but it was one of those things where I had to find myself. Otherwise, she wasn't going to be here no more. <laughs> it's like we we have options. We don't have to go through the sadness and the depression and the trauma. There are ways of hope and love and joy and possibility that are also available to us. Yes. <laughs> All of those things. And Stephanie, you are definitely showing people the way. And I really appreciate this conversation. You have given so many insights and given of yourself in a, a beautiful way. And I really, really appreciate it. How can people reach you, find you, follow you, all the things. Sure. It was such a pleasure talking with you, Monica. I'm so glad you hollered at me. Thank you so much. <laughs> this was wonderful. I hope that you do more and more sharing of your own story, right? Sometimes when people interview, I always say, sometimes when people interview people, they forget to tell people who you are. So right. thank you so much for putting so much of yourself in to your work, into your podcast, into your sharing. Thank you for that. I am all over the internet. Uh, my YouTube channel is Stephanie Perry. I have a YouTube channel where we talk about same stuff, right? House sitting, moving abroad, taking a sabbatical. The Exodus Summit community is at exodussummit.com slash community. That's where you will find those 10,000 Black women who are out there moving towards living their dreams. It's a wonderful place. And I recommend that you get yourself there as soon as you can. And then on the other social media platforms, I am vicarious. I started my blog years ago on my sabbatical. And I was like, I want you to vacation vicariously through me. <laughs> but no, I don't want that anymore. I don't want you to vacation vicariously through me. I want you to live for yourself, right? Live. But it's still called vicarious. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at vicarious. My, I have a house sitter toolkit. Is it okay if I talk about that? Oh, sure, sure. Okay. I have a new house sitter toolkit. So we talked about how house sitting is for you, Black women. I have a new house sitter toolkit that can help you get started house sitting if you like the idea of taking care of people's pets in order to get free accommodation wherever in the world. And that's at housesit.vicarious.com slash toolkit. Welcome to house sitting. It really has made, taken a lot of the pressure off of me, off of my life so that I can live out my dreams. That's beautiful. <laughs> and it's beautiful that you're leaving a trail behind for people. Even though you're doing this for yourself, you were leaving it just like, here, here's what I did. That's right. <laughs> here's a here's a here's a path of roses for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
That's right. I'm not Why just gonna close, close the little trap door and tell you so, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Chad would do. I got it. You get it too. <laughs> That's right. We're not gonna. We're gonna act like Chad, but we're not gonna do what Chad would do. Not that time. That's right. Not that way. <laughs> Thank you so much for this conversation. I really appreciate it. I'm going to plug more into your community because I want to see what 10,000 women in one space looks like <laughs> that are living free. <laughs> so have an amazing day and thank you for your time. And most importantly, thank you for saying yes. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Have an amazing day. You too. Thank you for listening to Black Women Amplified. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and log on to blackwomenamplified.com for more information. Keep shining. Keep shining.